Good morning. Hope everyone is having a good day. And some are just getting back from spring break. For those of you who had spring break, we hope you enjoyed it. We want to thank the Lord for a great Easter. Um, if you look in your bulletin, we had a really record Easter and God really blessed. We had uh, two people pray to receive Christ during Easter week. So that was really exciting. Um, also, uh, just to give you a little update, we're still the 930. Some of you have wondered about the 930 pre-launch service that's continuing to build. We're growing that number each week, and it will launch whenever everything's ready. But um, we'll begin to have those numbers in your bulletin so you can try, kind of track the launch team. And so we've got a good group attending that as well. So we're excited about what God's doing. And I just wanted to thank you guys for bringing your friends and family to church on Easter, and let's keep up the good habit of doing that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, if you turn in your Bibles there. For those of you just joining us, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And I don't know about you guys, but every week it's been intriguing with the miracles. Seeing Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law, seeing Jesus just do amazing wonders and signs, and healing people who are sick. Today we're going to talk about an interesting story that didn't involve just one man, but five friends. So as you turn there to Luke chapter 5, um, this past Monday I, I went running. Do we have any runners in the audience? Anybody like to go run? Okay, a few of you. So I, I went running around Lake Junaluska. If you've ever been to Lake Junaluska, really pretty. It's about a two-mile run if you cross the bridge. So I started, I started walking, and I, I was getting ready to listen to, I, I listen to sermons or music while I'm running, and all of a sudden, this guy runs right past me. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm very competitive with sports. And my mind went off and it's like, all right, I'm not even started running yet. I'm walking. But this guy, and he had to be at least 10, 15 years older than me. So I'm like, I cannot let this guy beat me. So I took off sprinting to pass this guy. <laughs> Kid you not. We were on kind of different sides of the trail. And then the trail went to one path. So I, I got in front, and I started running, and I kid you not, the entire time, this guy was on my trail. I, it seems like he must have been competitive, too, because it was like he's going to pass me by, so I just kept going. I'm like, I'm not going to let this guy pass me. Um, and after two miles, I finished my run, and it was cool down. They tell you it's good to have a little cool down. So I, I cooled down, and guess who passed me while I was doing my cool down? The guy just zipped right by, by me, and, and I thought about it. It was kind of humorous at first, and... And then I began to think about faith. Faith is not like competitive sports. Because competitive sports, you want to win, and it's okay. That's part of it. Have you ever been to a little kid's game where they don't keep score? I don't understand that. Like, what's the point in playing if there's no score? I really, even when I was growing up, they kept score. But for some reason, there's no, just kids kick the ball or hit the ball. And we're not going to keep, I don't understand it. Maybe a school teacher can explain why you don't keep score later. But, uh, so... I began to think about faith and how it's completely different because in competitive sports, you want to win and you want to be the best. When it comes to Christianity, you're all on the same team. You're all working together. Maybe we need to give some churches that memo. By the way, we're not your competition. You're not our competition. We're all on the same, on the same team. But faith wants people to go further than you went. Not only further, but further faster. When that guy passed me by... I was thinking about my faith, and I'm like, you know what? I want you guys, and I want my children to go further than I've ever went in my life. And we should want that for the next generation. We should want the next generation to go further and further faster. Faith also lifts one above oneself. I can remember, and maybe you guys would have the same story. In my 20s, 
I wanted to be successful. But now in my mid-30s, I want others to be successful. There's something that shifted inside of me. In my 20s, I was very selfish, and it was about what I was doing. But now I realize it's not about me. It's about the kingdom. It's about others. And I pray that many of you have made that same voyage. So today we're going to talk about five friends. And we're going to talk about how four guys put the one guy above himself. It was about the one guy that needed to get to Jesus. So let's look in Luke chapter 5. And the big question I want you guys to ask, we're going to see a miracle. But the big question I want you guys to ask yourself is what is God's part and what is your part when it comes to experiencing a miracle? What is God to do and what are you to do? We're going to start in verse 17. Now it happened on a certain day as Jesus was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So before we read the next scripture, the backdrop, you have a ton of people hanging out. This is in a city called Capernaum, which is Jesus' new headquarters. And some scholars think this could be Peter's house because he lived there. You remember about his mother-in-law getting healed? and So this very well could be Peter's house. We don't know. So all these scribes and Pharisees, these are the religious teachers of the day. These are what we'd call the spiritual cops. Could you imagine people following you around saying, hey, you shouldn't eat that. You're supposed to lose weight, not gain weight. Hey, what are you doing? And they would call you out forever. Wouldn't that be weird if people would call you out everywhere you went? I heard you say that curse word. You need to repent. <laughs> that would be tough. So that's the audience along with many others. Look at verse 18. Then behold, men brought to him a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. When they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? But Jesus perceived their thoughts. Isn't that like Jesus to read people's thoughts? He answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise up and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Or some translations say extraordinary things today. Let us pray. Father, this is quite an intriguing passage. Help us to understand what your word has to say. And Lord, help us, as I mentioned in the introduction, to have the heart to put others above ourselves. And to want others to go further, faster than we are and can in our own lives. God, help us to raise the roof when it comes to bringing people to Jesus. We love you and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's message, I've simply entitled, Raising the Roof. Doing whatever it takes to bring people to Jesus. So there are six observations from the four friends who brought their one friend to Christ. Let's look at the first one. Have a firm conviction that Jesus is your only hope. If you want to raise the roof, you have to have a firm conviction that Jesus is your only hope. 
Look back at verses 17 and 18. There were scribes and Pharisees, and they came from every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And notice it says, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So what's interesting about the scribes and Pharisees is they had not placed, many of them, most of them, had not placed their hope in Jesus. And we see the others down the road did, like Nicodemus. And there are others that came around. But what I want you to get is the difference between the friends and the scribes and Pharisees is one was there just to check Jesus out. One group of people was there to spy and try to catch him to do, doing wrong. But the four friends, actually there were five friends, but four friends were healthy and one friend was sick. They realized that Jesus was the only hope. He was the only one that could heal their friend. And we don't know what, what the, the crippled man experienced. We don't know what doctors he had been to. The text doesn't tell us. I can only imagine he had went to the best doctors and they weren't able to cure. He had probably prayed and fasted. We don't know, but he, he probably had done everything in his power to be healed, but nothing worked. But you notice that a group of friends got together, the five friends, and they said, I hear that Jesus is coming to Capernaum. And we know that he can heal. He's healed so many people. He's done miracles. He's done wonders. And he's done signs. Perhaps Jesus will heal you today. And you know what? They had faith that Jesus was the only hope. Now we see about the scribes and Pharisees. Who are they? This is the first time they appear in Luke's gospel. And we know from Josephus that at this time there are about 6,000 of them. And, but where do they originate? Where, where do they come from? Uh, most people believe that they originated during the time of Ezra, whenever um, Israel and the Israelites had this great revival. If you remember through your Old Testament history, the, the Jewish people struggled with idolatry. They struggled with worshiping idols. And what would usually happen? They'd be carried away into captivity, Babylonian captivity. And they, they were in all these situations where they were in captivity because they, they went after other gods. And there were many gods that they went after. We know about the Baals and the Asherahs and all these false gods. But during the time of Ezra, there was a great revival. And that's when these people came about that realized we need to guard the purity of God's law so that people will never, never go back to, into idol worship. And we know as a whole, the Jews were cured of idol worship after the time of Ezra. So that's where the Pharisees came along. And their, their mentality was, we need to make sure that people don't go out into sin again. Because if they do, you remember what happened last time. Do you want to go back to Babylon? Do you want to go back to Egypt? Let's not go there. So they started off with right motives, but what happened is they began to build laws upon laws upon laws to keep people away from sinning. I'll use this illustration. My daughter, Kira, is in kindergarten, and uh, we homeschool. But imagine her going to a school, and a beautiful bed of flowers is there. Your, your kindergarten teacher, first grade teacher has planted these flowers, but it's so easy for a child to go and pick one of these flowers. So the teacher, Mrs. Thompson, put, puts a do not pick sign. But do you think a kid's going to listen to a do not pick sign? Probably not. So the kids keep on picking the flowers. So eventually, Miss Thompson has no flowers left. So what does she do? She gets one of those wire chicken fences and puts it around. But guess what? The kids can still get over the three-foot chicken fence. So then there's another fence, another fence, and you guys can't kind of get the idea. Eventually, you're not even able to see the flowers because there's so many fences. And that's really what happened with the Old Testament law. God had a do not pick sign or do not sin sign. And the Pharisees were like, well, the people are still sinning. 
So they built fence after fence after fence that weren't even in the Bible to keep people from sinning. But did it work? People still sin, right? So that's kind of the, the nature of the Pharisees. They started off right, but somewhere along the line, they became a legalist. And you ask, what is the definition of a legalist? A legalist is someone that proclaims truth and that they, they say to have truth, you have to have tradition and principles and precepts. And there's a lot of religion added to it. So the, the, way, the way I look at it is rules plus regulations minus relationship equals rebellion. I'll say that again. Rules plus regulations minus relationship equals rebellion. So here's was the Pharisees' problem. They added rules on top of the Bible that weren't in the Bible. They added regulations. But if there's no relationship with God, what happens to the people? They rebel. So they, they needed to realize, and they didn't realize at the time, that Jesus was their only hope. So you notice in verse, I believe it's number 17, in verse 18, if you'll turn back there in verse 18, it says, The power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now what does it take for someone to get healed physically? What does it take? I think it's two things. Faith has to be present on the inside, and power has to be available from the outside. I'll say that again. What does it take for someone to be healed? Faith has to be present on the inside, and power has to be available on the outside. So if you look at verses 17 and 18, who had the faith here? Was it the crippled man, or was it the friends, or was it both? I think it was both, because the guy had to took a big risk for them to carry him. And to drop him down, perhaps he could have fallen, but he didn't. So Jesus noticed the faith. And it says the power of the Lord was present to heal them. So what I want to encourage you, friends, is that never forget that Jesus is your only hope. People will let you down. Friends aren't always faithful. Doctors can't always heal. But you know what? Jesus is the great physician. He's the only one, and he's the only hope. Amen? Number two on raising the roof, don't let the crowds keep you from connecting with Jesus. Don't let the crowds keep you from connecting with Jesus. Look at verse 19. So these friends are wanting to come to Jesus, and what's stopping them? And when they could not find how they might bring in men because of the crowd. One of the biggest reasons why people don't want to go to church is because of other people. You ever notice that? I've heard so many people, I would go, but I don't really like the crowds. I would go, but I kind of like worshiping God in my tree stand, you know, hunting or at the lake. Or There's so many things. But you know what I like about these friends? They didn't let the, let the crowds crowd Jesus out of their life. They didn't let the crowds keep them from Jesus. Many of you know Tom Rainer. He's the president of Lifeway, Southern Baptist um, Curriculum. And he did a tw Twitter post one time, and he was asking people on his Twitter... He said, why, why do you not go to church? What keeps you from church? And I'm going to read to you some of their top, these are truth explanations, excuses why people don't go to church today. Number one, we were out of peanut butter. And Rainer says, of course, no one can worship about, without getting his or her peanut butter fix on. Um, now this is bad, so you single guys, watch this. Both of my girlfriends attend church there. <laughs> Tom Rainer responds, I think you have other challenges than that. Number three, and I've heard this one, and Elaine's going to laugh at this one, the worship leader pulls up his pants too often, it's distracting. Uh, we, we have a lady that wears a dress, so we don't have to worry about that. But believe it or not, this excuse, it wasn't this church, 
because um, Stephen doesn't deal with this issue either, but I, I heard, I was asking someone about the Easter, and we were talking about it, and this actually, ha- someone used this, that it was good, but the worship pastor kept pulling up their pants. I kid you not. Number four, my kids take nap during this time. And I could see that. You know, my kids, they're gripey. They take naps. Uh, Tom Rainer responds. He says, bring them to church anyways. They can sleep with the deacons during the service. <laughs> Thought that was good. Number five, gas prices are too high. And Rainer says, have you been outside lately? <laughs> now, this one I thought was humorous. The pastor is too attractive. And when I see him preaching, I have impure thoughts. I'm distracted. <laughs> Tom Rainer says, and I, I say it too, I've never heard that complaint when I was pastor. Number seven, my wife cooked bacon for breakfast and our entire family smelled like bacon. Real excuse. And Rainer says, bacon aroma is always welcome at our church. <laughs> Number eight, the pastor stays in the Bible too much. Uh, Tom Rainer says, I've noticed that too. Who does he think he is? <laughs> Number nine, we got burned out of church and we have been taking a break for the past seven years. <laughs> True. Rainer says, I think you broke the world's record for the longest time to cool down. And finally, number 10, reasons why people don't want to go to church. Someone called me brother instead of using my real name. (laughs) Rainer says, at least he didn't call you sister, right? So here's the thing. Don't let excuses keep you away from Jesus. Look at these four friends. There were so many things that prevented them from Jesus, but they didn't let the crowds crowd Jesus out. They didn't let excuses stop them. And often people will say, I would go to church, but then there's, there, there's a certain reason why. I was reading a true story about a zoo in Santa Cruz, Spain. And the zoo, was they were doing a, a test run of what do you do if the big gorilla escapes? Because, you know, a gorilla can maul kids and what do you do? So they, they had it all planned out. They, they got this man in a big gorilla costume and he was walking around pretending like he was escaped. And everyone had the memo. It was closed off to, to guests, except for the vet tech. She did not know. So she saw this big gorilla masquerading around. There's, there's a picture of a guy in a gorilla costume. And she took out her tranquilizer gun, thinking that the real thing had happened. She didn't get the memo. She shot the gorilla. And the tranquilizer was enough to put down a 400-pound gorilla. So this guy, they don't know, he wandered off. He was really starting to... The medicine was starting to kick in. They found him later lying in his underwear, no costume, unconscious, just lying there. They had to rush him to the hospital, and he recovered later. And you're like, Timothy, why are you telling us this story? Here's the thing. If you act like something you're not, if you pretend to be someone you're not, it not only hurts you, but it hurts other people. And people's biggest excuse for not coming to church is the church is what? Full of hypocrites. No one wears gorilla costumes in here, right? <laughs> We've got to get rid of our costumes and just be real because the crowds should never crowd you out. We need people to be brought to Jesus. Number three, embrace a can-do, whatever-it-takes mentality when it comes to bringing people to Jesus. Embrace a can-do, whatever-it-takes mentality when it comes to bringing people to Jesus. Look at the last part of verse 19. They did the unthinkable. They went up on the housetop and they let down his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. Now here's something to think about. These men, no one would fault them if they came up and they couldn't get to Jesus. If they went home, nobody would have faulted them. I mean, they had carried this guy perhaps for miles. We don't know how long. It could have been from another town. We don't know. 
But they brought this guy. They couldn't get him to Jesus. Now, my mind was thinking, okay, has anybody ever been in a concert where they crowd surf somebody? Couldn't they at least crowd surf this guy? You know, got his mat and just got him through. But they didn't. Um, the front door was blocked. There's no mention of a back door. There's no mention of a window. So what did they do? And in the Palestinian homes, see, when we read this, we contextualize it. We think of the big roofs. And that's even more of a crazy thing. You think about a slanted roof and the guy's falling off, you know, but it was a flat roof. And in, the, in, in this day and time, they didn't have AC. It wasn't admitted yet. So often during the hot, sultry summer days, they would sleep on top of the roof at night. So it was flat. And so the, there's usually a stairway where you could walk up to the roof. So instead of giving up, these guys says, you know what? We're going to go on top of the roof. And I'm sure one of the guys had the bright idea and had to give a big sales pitch. Listen, we can't get this guy to Jesus. We made the trip. Jesus is their only hope. So you know what? We're going to go up on the roof and we're going to tear a big hole and we're going to let him down using these ropes. We don't know where the ropes came from. They improvised or they found him lying in the backyard. We don't know any of it. But can you imagine them walking on the roof? How many of you have ever heard something crawl on your roof like a squirrel or you know, and it gets your attention. Can you imagine four grown men carrying a guy on a roof? I mean, it's like banging. And I mean, I can imagine the scribes and Pharisees. What's going on? Who is interrupting this holy place of worship? I know it's Jesus teaching and we're trying to catch him, but how dare you interrupt this message? You know, it's like, now I've had people interrupt me preaching. Uh, I used to preach at a nursing home and I remember people yelling out. Ah! I just kept going. I've had children cry. But I have never had anyone come through the roof. And this would be really scary hard at first, wouldn't you? see like these, these wood coming out. But the, 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 to give you an idea of the roofs, they were made of timbers and they would pack it with mud and leaves and different things like that. So it wasn't just a loud endeavor, but it was a messy endeavor. Now you imagine, let's say if the guy was 5'6", let's just say he's 5'6". How big of a hole would you have to cut in to get a five, six guy out on a mat? I mean, it would have to be like a six foot by two foot. And imagine how long it took to dig a hole that big. I mean, we don't think about it when we're reading the text. And not only that, but they had to lower the guy. Some mud is flying. Uh, ladies, you're getting dirt all in your hair. And it's like, and also it's not their house. Can you imagine if this is Peter? We don't know if it's his house, but if it's Peter's house, can you imagine what his, his wife and mother-in-law are saying? This is the mother-in-law that just got healed, and all of a sudden she's like, what's going on to your house? And all of a sudden we now have a, a sun, sunroof, and we have a skylight in the house. <laughs> it's like, so the, the, the guys had a do-whatever-it-takes mentality. They didn't stop. And I think the, the, the answer is we either, either give up or we go up. We go up on the roof. We're either willing to surrender or we're willing to say, I'm not going to say no until God comes through. I'm going to keep on. It's like that persistent widow in Luke chapter 18 we're going to read about in several months. I'm not going to give up because I know God's going to do something amazing. Another way to reframe it is we can either be like the vulture or the hummingbird. See, the thing about the vulture is it flies across the nation's desert, just like the hummingbird does. But what does the vulture eat? Someone tell me. Yeah, dead stuff. It feeds on the past, what was. And the hummingbird feeds on the nectar of special desert plants that have these bright flowers. 
and the, the blossoms. The hummingbird feeds on what is and what's living. Did you know they both find what they're looking for? One finds the negative, dead, rotting meat. The others find what's living and alive. And I think the same is true for us. We all find what we're looking for. If you're looking for negative things in life, you don't have to look very far. But if you're looking for God moving and God doing miracles and God coming through, it's there. We all find what we're looking for. So I believe this message is for every man, woman, and child in this room. I think it's time for us to raise the roof. What happens when you can't bring someone to Jesus? You raise the roof. What happens when you don't know how to share your faith? You raise the roof. What happens when you don't have the answers and you don't know what to do? You raise the roof. See, raising the roof means lifting out all excuses, casting away all doubts, and moving forward knowing that God's got something greater and better. Look at the person next to you and say, it's time to raise the roof. So what happens if we start reaching this community and this church is too small to hold everybody? We've got to raise the roof. What happens when churches down the road need help and struggling and we've got the means to help them? We've got to raise the roof. Raising the roof means we're doing whatever it takes. We have a can-do mentality to believe that Jesus is the only hope and he's the only source of salvation. Amen. Number four, how to raise the roof. Believe that a little faith goes a long ways with Jesus. Believe that a little faith goes a long way with Jesus. Look at verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. You notice it said Jesus saw the faith. Now, how many of you have ever heard someone say the expression, oh, well, Timothy, I would talk about my faith, but my faith is so private. You ever heard anybody say that? Now, tell me where that's in the Bible. I've never found it. Your faith is personal, but it's never private. It's personal, but it's never private. And what I love about this is Jesus saw their faith. He saw the dirt coming down. He heard the noise. He heard these guys that were willing to do whatever it took to bring their friend to Jesus. True faith can always be seen by our actions and not by our attitude alone. I was reading a story about this young boy. His mother sent him on a grocery list. You guys ever, your wife's ever send you out to buy groceries? How does that work? I always forget something. I just like, my wife, did you get this? I'm like, I knew I forgot that. So I have to go back the next day or she has to get it. And so anyways, this little boy, he was sent with just one item. Son, I need you to come back with a dozen eggs. Mama's going to cook some fried eggs and I can imagine some bacon and some grits. And anybody getting hungry? Oh, yeah. So anyways, he went to go get the, these eggs, and on his way home, he stumbled and fell. And you guys know what happened. All the eggs were just crushed. Yolks all over the street. And the little boy tried not to cry, but you could see the tears trickling down his eye. And everyone passing by just tried to comfort him, make sure he was okay. He had little scuff marks on him, but he was okay. Son, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And they left. They went their way. And an old gentleman walked up to him. He reached in his pocket and he handed the little boy a quarter and he said, I care 25 cents worth. And he looked around and he said, how much do you guys care? See, all the other people were given lip service. I care, I care. And the older gentleman gave him money to help him buy some more eggs. So lip service is one thing, but God doesn't want lip service. He wants life service. He wants us to give us their all and not just to say it, but actually to show it. James says it like this. Faith without deeds is what? 
It's dead. So living faith is active faith. Now, how much faith does it take to move a mountain? Just mustard seed, right? Just a little bit. Matthew 17, 20, Jesus said, you don't have enough faith. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. What I love about the friends, they had enough faith to climb a roof that day. They had enough faith to tear up someone's house. They had enough faith to raise the roof so they could lower their friend to Jesus. Because they knew that Jesus was their only hope. Jesus is the only one that could heal. And they had complete faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder today how many people in America have faith in Jesus Christ alone. I wonder how many people in this church say that Jesus Christ is the only hope for salvation, for life, for all my needs. Jesus is the only hope. Amen. Number five, and this is really the, the, the main point of the message, if you will. Understand that your greatest need is not always what you think it is. Understand that your greatest need is not what always you think it is. Look at verse 20. It says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And by the way, the scribes and Pharisees had the right theology, but the wrong application. God, only God can forgive sins, but what they didn't realize, Jesus is God. And he was doing something amazing in their midst. So Jesus poses a riddle, and I actually got the riddle wrong until I researched it. Which is easier to say? Is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? Most of us would say, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because you can't prove it, you can't verify it. If you tell someone to get up and walk and they don't, that, that's, that's obviously going to be the hardest. But if you look from God's perspective, it's much harder to forgive sins because only God can forgive. It's easier for someone to get up and walk than to have someone forgiven for eternity. And I think the main point of this message, if you forget everything, is this. Your greatest need is always eternal, not temporary. The man came to Jesus. Do you think he really wanted his sins forgiven that day? Do you think he woke up and said, yeah... I'm going to ask Jesus to forgive me. I'm going to ask God to forgive me. Or do you think he's like, I need to walk? We don't know, but most likely the guy had no thoughts about his sin that day. The guy probably had no theological debate going on. He just wanted to walk. And I think there's a principle we can learn from this. Jesus welcomed the guy in his felt needs, his physical needs, and he ultimately met his spiritual needs and then he met his physical needs. So you wonder why churches do certain things to minister to people. You know, why do churches have oil changes for single moms? And why, why do churches serve coffee? Why do, why do they do things that don't really, I mean, that's just a temporary thing. The principle is this. Sometimes you have to meet people's felt needs so you can meet their real needs. Jesus didn't rebuke the guy for wanting healing, but he met his real need first. So here's, here's the main takeaway for you is your greatest need is spiritual. If Jesus would have simply healed the man's legs... And he went away into eternity lost. That would only be a short-term fix. But Jesus healed the man's soul and then he healed his body. And here's the good news for you. If you are a Christian and your body's suffering and you have pains, you know what? There's another body waiting for you on the other side, a glorified body. So your healing is coming. And all God's children said, Amen. And finally, the sixth observation from this text do what you can do while trusting God to do what only He can do. Do what you can do while trusting God to do what only He can do. So let's look at the, the, the four friends. 
Did they do what they could do? Imagine if they would have just given up. Imagine if they'd even helped their friend. Notice it took a whole team of people to bring people to Jesus. It took a whole team of people. Some of you are frustrated because you want your, your son or daughter or grandchild to come to Christ. Listen, God may use a whole team of people. It may not be you alone. Christianity is a team sport. It's not a solo event. So here's the thing. The, the, the paralyzed man also did what he could do. He received help. A lot of people need help, but they won't receive help. And don't you realize that you can't give help if someone's not willing to receive it? You have to be willing. He was willing to have his friends do the crazy unthinkable, climb up on a roof, lower him down. He had to risk his own body that was paralyzed. What if they dropped him? What if he got more injured? There was so much risk involved. But you know what? The four friends, the five friends, including the paralyzed man, they did what they could do, and they trust Jesus to do what only he could do. So when it comes to experiencing a miracle... You do everything you can do while you trust God to do what only he can do. I was reading a story uh, from the school system. We've got a lot of teachers and retired teachers in our church. In this large city, they had a special system. Whenever a child was sick, they, they would have homework assigned and they, they would be able to drop it off um, to the child. And basically, this boy was in the hospital. And uh, this is not a picture of the boy because he was badly burned. And... The substitute teacher came in to bring him his assignment from the school. And this, this was like a hospital teacher where they'd go and say, okay, here, here's your assignment. So the, this boy's teacher said, you know what, I, I want you to give this boy a lesson on nouns, verbs, and adverbs. Because I don't want him to fall behind in English class. So the lady went to the hospital. And when she saw this boy in the hospital, she was so moved. What she didn't realize, it looked like he was dying. And she kind of stumbled at her words and didn't know what to say. So she said, I was sent by your school, by your teacher, to talk to you about noun, verbs, and adverbs. And the little boy kind of sat up and um, didn't seem to get really far with the boy, but he listened. So the teacher went away very discouraged that day because she said, you know, I don't think I really got through to the boy. The very next day, she went to the hospital. And one of the nurses pulled the teacher aside and said, what did you do to the boy? And she started apologizing because she thought maybe she had traumatized him even further. And the teacher said, no. The nurse said, no, you didn't do anything wrong. Listen, after you came to the hospital, the boy has made a turnaround. You see, because the boy thought if the school is sending him a teacher to learn, he's probably not dying. Otherwise, they wouldn't waste their time. So because you came, it gave the boy hope that he was living. And you know what? Because you gave the boy hope, he's making a turnaround. See, the thing is, is we've got to do what we can do and trust God to do what only he can do. And sometimes that's adding a little hope to people. Sometimes that's giving someone encouragement. If you will trust God to do what only he can do while you do your part, God will work miracles. Amen. So for some of you today, God is wanting to do a miracle, but you're still sitting on your mat. You're still sitting on your paralysis of things in the past that have hurt you. And what Jesus told the paralyzed man applies to you today. Get up, take up your mat, and go home. Get up, take up, and go home. So here's the thing, folks. We can live in the past. We can live when we've been hurt. We can live in the paralysis of the past. Or we can listen to Jesus and get up and walk and allow God to live his life through us. Amen. So just reviewing today's message, we covered six observations. Number one. Have a firm conviction that Jesus is your only hope. This is what the friends got right. 
Number two, don't let the crowds keep you from connecting with Jesus. Don't let the crowds crowd Jesus out of your life. Don't wear that gorilla suit, by the way. Number three, embrace the can-do-whatever-it-takes mentality when it comes to bringing people to Jesus. Let's not say we can't. Let's say we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Number four, believe that a little faith goes what? A long ways with Jesus. Understand that your greatest need is not what you think it is. This is the, the main point of the message, that your greatest need is forgiveness. It's eternal. It's not temporary. And number six, do what you can do while trusting God to do what only He can do. To summarize this all in one sentence is your take-home truth. Seeing lives change involves you doing what you can do and allow God to do what only He can do. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, how powerful it is. And God, I think that you raised the roof for some people in this room today. I think that some of us came to church with hurts from the past. We came to church with, well, I I would tell my friend about Jesus, but my faith is so private. And God, you raised the roof. All of a sudden, we now have a sunlight. All of a sudden, you've opened the windows and the light is coming through because you've raised the roof from all our expectations, all our fears. And first of all, I want to talk to the believers with no one looking around as we continue to pray. How many of you have friends and family that need Jesus? Just slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Father, you see all the hands raised. You can put your hands down. Right now as we pray, just lift up your friend and family to to Jesus. Just say, Jesus, save and mention their name. Jesus, you, you hear all the names coming up. Family, friends, co-workers, neighbors that need you. I pray that you would move mightily and you would bring salvation in their lives. As the believers continue to pray for family and friends, there may be one here today that you realize your greatest need is salvation and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The truth, friend, is that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried and he rose to new life on the third day so that you wouldn't have to stay dead, that you could really live. So right now where you're sitting, If you want to invite Jesus into your life to not just touch you, but to change you, to not just give you a new uh, way of thinking, but to give you a new life, just pray this prayer. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me for all my sins. I repent of them and I turn to you. Jesus, I pray that you would come into my life. I give you my life. I make you my Lord, my Savior, my everything. And thank Him. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, please let us know. We want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, help us to raise the roof of Arden verse. Help us to reach those who haven't been reached. And God, help us to do all that we can do and trust that you will do what only you can do. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And on God's children said, Amen. You would please stand. We're going to have our closing song and our time of offering response. Uh, during this time, it's going to be very simple. As the ushers come forward, uh, we're going to take up an offering, but we still have the cross out, if you notice. And this time, we're going to have you put your family and friends. If any of you have a family member you're praying, I'm going to have some yellow stick it notes. And our prayer team is going to pray for your family and friends. You can just write their name. If you don't want to put their name, their initials. God knows who they are. So if the ushers will come forward, we're going to pray over offering. And if you have a decision to make, please make it. If you'll notice in front of you is the connection card. If you pray to receive Christ, 
If you would like to join the church, if you'd like to get baptized, you can write that on the connection card. At this time, let us pray. Father, we thank you that you're doing something miraculous in our midst. There is faith on the inside and there's power on the outside through Jesus Christ. So Lord, we thank you in advance for family, friends, co-workers who will come to salvation. We thank you in advance for the baptisms that we will have when people give their life to Christ. God, thank you for the generous givers at this church. Help us to use it to raise the roof, to lift up everything to you in order to change lives and hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we sing this song, respond as the Lord leads. I'll be at the front and I'll be here to pray for you at the cross.